You're listening to the Oasis Church Podcast. Book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. I want to talk to you about what do you see? Because I believe that sight is something that we see in the natural. Vision is what God gives us in the supernatural. And it says in verse 2, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets, that you may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not delay. I want to talk to you again, a message that we've talked about the first of this year, that God would live big in me in 2023, and we have to take those journeys into the unknown, and we have to start walking by faith and not by sight. So we have to start seeing what God sees. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Let it be a lamp and a light. Let every word from Joey Stillman says fall to the ground and every word that comes forth from you penetrate our hearts and change us forever. Not because we've met with a man, but God, we've met with you. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, amen. You could be seated this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Ren, so much. Give Ren a round of applause. Thank you, brother. I want to, I want you to know when you came in today, you received this uh, this little handout here. Some of you didn't get it. It'll be at the Welcome Center for you if you'd like to have one. And this is a statement of a mission that you would begin to write over your life, over your family's life for this coming year. So really what this is, is a writing on the tablets clearly. We've done this throughout our years, Jennifer and I, because we believe that God can sculpture our life, but what we're willing to ask for scripturally in faith believing. So I want to talk to you about that today because I believe if I could sit down one-on-one with each of you this morning and I can talk to you about what do you see for the future? What do you see that God can do in your future? When God begins to sculpture a man or a woman's life, he starts to pull down deep on the inside of things that we cannot see and things that will come out of us that we don't even realize are there, but God has something supernatural for us. I want you to think about that this morning because I want you to know that people often drift through life not knowing their full potential. How many of you know people that you see so much good in them and so much great things in them, but they kind of don't measure out to what you know that's on the inside of them through relationships, through circumstances, through situations. And so often people drift living life without meaning living life without a full sense of purpose, living life and not knowing what God has for them. I say that because so many people, they just kind of meander through. They kind of stop settling for for God's best and they endure life truly not living in capacity of miracles, but just living day to day existing. And we long to discover some adventure. We long to discover a purpose that makes life exciting, that makes life meaningful and life fulfilling. That's why I believe this passage of scripture is an amazing passage of scripture because God writes down what he wants to make happen. That Bible that you read and you have, that Bible was written one third of it in a prophetic writing that would be for our future. 
In other words, when the Bible was written, a third of that Bible talked about things that were coming that had not happened yet. We're now living in a time where about 99.9% of everything that was written in the future has already come to pass in the now. We're waiting for the second coming of our Lord and our Savior because God writes down what he wants to make happen. Think about it. The first time he wrote something down was on a tablet, on a stone tablet, on a mountain called Sinai. Those tablets were not 10 suggestions. They were not 10 recommendations. They are a blueprint for a great society. Now think about what we've done with that blueprint. The Supreme Court threw them out of the public schools in the 1960s saying, quote, lest it become a source of moral guidance. And as a result, public schools in America have become blackboard jungles. They're ruled by violence, young people kind of mishmashing, feeling like they're throwaways, lowering the standards, lowering expectations. 275,000 students go to school in America each day, not with a backpack or a binder on them, but with a gun or a knife on them. Who needs moral guidance when a thousand teachers go to the hospital each month because they're attacked by one of their own students? Who needs moral guidance? The Bible describes this generation that we're living in very clearly, thinking themselves to be wise. They have become fools. It says in another location, righteousness exalts in a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's time for us to get back to God's word, back to God's anointing, God's power operating in our life. That's the hope for America. It it won't be found in a Republican Party. It won't be found in a Democratic Party. It won't be found in politicians or any other party. It'll be found in the kingdom of our God. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Can you help me give God praise this morning? For 1,500 years, God gave the Jewish people instructions on how to write his words. Those instructions were written by Jewish men to give you and I the canon of scripture that we know today. When you read books nowadays, you'll read something. It's a good book or it's a bad book. But these words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, all scriptures breathe from cover to cover by God. This is the only book where it starts to read you. The Bible tells us that this book, the words out of it are sharp. The Bible says it cuts. It's discerning the intents of the heart. You read it and it starts to read you. It starts to tell you how to live your life, tell you what you should embrace, tell you what you should let go. You read it to be wise. You believe it to be saved. You practice it to be holy. You need to know what God has said in that precious book. I say that because God told the disciple by the name of John, he says, what you're doing on this island, I want you to write it down. And when you write down what's happening on this island, it's going to be known as the revelation of Jesus Christ. We know that book. It's the last book in the canon called Revelation. Why? Because God was showing John and the people who would read it who Jesus really is is. It's not a depressing book. It would be known for centuries about what God begins to present to a lost and dying world, a victorious Christ risen from the dead Savior, and it presents a triumphant church. It doesn't present a weak need, progressive, living in a cultural sewer church. It shows a church that's lifted up, that honors the Lord because it is the bride waiting for the bridegroom. I'm saying that because when you realize what God has done in the end of the book, from cover to cover, and when you get to the end, we win, ladies and gentlemen. The victory's ours through Christ the Lord. 
In Exodus 17, there's a story of war. Israel, I've been talking about, they left the land of Egypt for 430 years. They had been slaves under Pharaoh and the rule of law in Egypt. God supernaturally, through Moses, a type of savior and deliverer, took them out in a day. But it took 40 years to get that mentality out of them. And they're operating now in the land of just enough. They received the blessing of Lord, the Lord to get out of the land of not enough. Now they're in the land of just enough, but God gave them a vision. Everybody say vision. A vision of more than enough. A land that was flowing with milk and with honey. A land that would be their very own. But these people that have been slaves for 430 years, they didn't know how to fight. So in Exodus 17, as they're in the middle of coming out of not enough and believing for more than enough, they're in just enough. How many of you know we operate like that in our lives? We operate that. Sometimes we don't have enough, and sometimes we have just enough, and then sometimes we bless with more than enough. But we often find ourselves kind of in that middle. That's what Israel is experiencing. And God wants to teach them how to fight. Because remember, they were slaves for 430 years. There wasn't a mechanism in them of how to fight. So God tells Joshua through Moses, I want you to choose out men because I want to train them how to fight. And this battle in Exodus 17 is an interesting one because he says, choose the men that know how to fight. And when you choose them, I'm going to do something because they were attacked by Amalek. Amalek is a descendant of Esau. How many of you ever heard of Esau? The Bible tells us that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and what? Jacob. But do you know that it was not supposed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. Esau had the birthright. He was the eldest son. Esau had all the rights to take on the authority of what the father Jacob had for him. But Esau found himself in a place of not in the middle of just enough and certainly not in a place of more than enough. Esau found him in a place of not enough and he became hungry. His belly started to growl. And if you've ever had your belly growl, anything starts to look and taste good. If you've ever been really hungry, some of you have never been really hungry, but when you're a bigger fellow like me, you're constantly hungry. I mean, I'm constantly eating and drinking drinks. I'm constantly hungry. I mean, I can eat and graze all day long. But Esau got so hungry that he literally sold his birthright, his rightful place, because he was so hungry. He said, I'm going to starve to death. I'll even take the tamales and the igloo ice chest. I don't even know what they're made of. I'll give you my birthright if you just give me the machacada and beans. I'm hungry. And he sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. Esau represents the flesh. He was so overwhelmed by the natural need of what he had because he was hungry. He gave up his rights. He gave up his voice for the generation to come. And now he represents the flesh. His descendants are called Amalek. They're descendants of Esau. Esau represents the flesh. The flesh always wars against the spirit. And the spirit always wars against the flesh. Moses tells Joshua again, choose out men for tomorrow the fight is on. And I'm going to stand on the top of the hill with my rod of God in my hand. But I'm going to put my hands up. 
And the Bible says, as much as Moses' hands were up, Israel won the war. But the moment his hands were down because of age and tiredness, they began to lose the war. The message of that conflict and every battle you will ever face will be won supernaturally through prayer. There are three keys to supernatural victory. You want to hear them? Pray, pray, and pray some more. That's how you get victory. Where there's some prayer, there's some power. Where there's more prayer, there's more power. Where there's much prayer, there is much power. If you want to shake the landscape of your life, learn how to engage, not in the flesh. Learn how to engage in the spirit and begin to pray. The Bible says in the book of Acts, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. How many of you would like to come to church and the physical building, not because of a California quake, but a Holy Spirit earthquake, it begins to shake and the foundations began to shake because because God wants to prove you and him are a majority for any problem that you ever face. And the God of this universe is the God of your life and the God of my life. He can move mountains of impossibility. He can make the crooked way straight. He can do the impossible. He can heal the unhealable. He can forgive the unforgivable. There's no God like our God. Let's put our hands together and thank God for his amazing power. Now, I bring up that story out of Exodus 17 because this is something that many people don't realize because God tells Moses something after that fight. He says in Exodus 17, God starts writing the message to Israel, and had they followed it, it would have changed the course of human history. Exodus 17, 14, quote, the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. We're talking about what we see, what God wants for our life. Write what, you, what we've seen in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. I will be at utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek under heaven. This is God talking. I will be at war with him from generation to generation until I exterminate every person related to him on the face of the earth. Because Amalek was trying to kill the Jewish people. Had they killed the Jewish people coming out of the bondage of Egypt of not enough, you would have never heard of King David. You would have never had Jesus Christ. You would have never had the 12 disciples and the redemption would have been destroyed and God would have had to start over again. You say, well, what's so insignificant about that? Fast forward 900 years. Israel's wanting an earthly king. So God gave them an earthly king by the name of Saul. And Saul becomes king. And God says to him, I want you to destroy the Amalekites utterly. Why the Amalekites? Because the Amalekites were a descendant from what he told them in Exodus 17 to take care of. They've weaving their way through history. And now they're part of the Amalekites. It's descendants of Esau. And he says, I want you to destroy the Amalekites utterly. Spare no one. The leader of the Amalekites were spared because of Saul's disobedience. And because of that disobedience, many people lost their lives. And God says, write that down because I want people to know. You say, well, what's so significant about that? Because if you took me out to lunch today and I eat steak, I like to eat and I like all I can drink sodas because I can't have them at home all the time. So you're going to feed me and we're going to talk the Bible and we're going to get serious about the Bible and get real deep about it. 
I would tell you about that seed of Amalek and that seed of Amalekites all the way through the 1930s comes through the seed of the final solution through a man by the name of Adolf Hitler. That same seed weaves its way through to the book of Revelation, to the revealing of the Antichrist who comes out of Syria, who wants to do it again, annihilate the Jewish race. That evil seed, had they taken care of it in Moses' day, it would have never come to pass in the days in which we live today. Think about that. When you write it down, what you're doing is you're releasing faith. I share that story out of scriptural and history because it releases faith to know the unknown and know what's coming. When you do that with your own individual life, that's exactly what you're doing. It's a proclamation of releasing faith. I have in one of my Bibles here, I have many years of these proclamations. Wouldn't you like to read them? I have many years of these, of what I believe through my wife and my children, what I believe in our church, what God has done. And many of these things have came to pass exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. Because we wrote them down, we believe for them. When time goes by, you look back at them and you go, look at what God has done. Now, let me tell you what begins to happen. Because this happened when we were building the city center many years ago. Fear starts knocking on the door and says, that's never going to happen. Things will come. People will come. And it happens in your life and it's happened in my life. When you're really wanting to do great things for your life and for the Lord, fear starts to come knocking at the door. And fear starts to say, hey, you're thinking way too big here. Fear starts to say, hey, be reasonable. Now, that's impossible. Fear's got a cruddy voice, by the way. Another voice says, you're not worthy of that. Why do you think you can do that? Who do you think you are? How dare you want better for you? Who do you think you are? Why would you ask for that and believe for that? When you don't get it, you're going to be disappointed for the rest of your life. Why do you keep doing it? You might as well go through the same old thing, meandering around the boring day-to-day life. At least you'll know what to expect. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when fear knocks at the door, send faith to answer it. No one will be there. Faith has to respond back in the day-to-day trials of life. I'm a child of God. I'm royalty. Faith has to answer back. Angels go before me and behind me as my rear guard. Faith has to respond. I'm sanctified. I'm spirit-filled. I'm the child by the blood, and I'm called his very own. Faith has to answer. I have extremities that are overwhelming me, but my God is greater than my extremity because greater is he that's within me than he that's within this world. I have the word of faith coming out of my mouth. I have the Bible that gives me my latitude and my longitude. It tells me where I go and what I stay away from. I cannot be defeated for greater is he that's within me than he that's within this world. You got to get excited about what God can do. So, and if I was to give you a question, here's what it would be. What would you attempt to do in your life if you knew you couldn't fail? Notice I said in your life, I didn't even say for God. Most of the time when you hear a preacher say that, they'll say, well, what would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? No, no, let's, let's take it up an octave. What would you attempt to do in your life if you knew you couldn't fail? If failure was not an option, you should write that down. Why? Because you're not doing it. God is doing it. You see, your life in him, if I was talking to unbelievers today, I wouldn't be talking like I'm talking. If I'm talking to them at the yellow rose and the crystal pistol, I'll say, stop drinking your winos and get saved. If I was talking to him up in the club, I'd say, turn that crap on and off and turn Jesus on. 
And I would say crap, by the way, because that's what it'd be. But I'm not talking to people in a bar. I'm not talking to people up in a club. I'm talking to people of faith. And people of faith need to know that God has ordained you to be more than a conqueror through him that loves you. You need to realize that. Nothing's impossible. You need to understand today, and I hope faith is rising as I'm ministering this. You need to know that you can write it down and believe God. Your life has unlimited possibilities. I believe this book from cover to cover tells us nothing is impossible to them that believe and are called according to his purpose. Make sure what you're writing down are a part of the purposes of God because there is a world of difference. Listen, between believing and receiving. I believe 100% of you at the sound of my voice and certainly those who are watching believe God can do it. You wouldn't be here, right? You'd be at the club. You'd be at the yellow rose of the crystal pistol drinking your sorrows away. Oh, I'm so sorrowful. You wouldn't be in the house of God. So you believe there's an element of faith in everybody here that believes God can do a miracle. Are you with me this morning? You believe it? Obviously, right? We're in church. But here's the bridge. All of us believe that God can do a miracle, but not all of us believe that God can do a miracle for them. You believe that he can do it for someone else. You're just not quite sure because of your circumstances, your backgrounds and your mistakes and your faith level if he can do it for you. And that's the bridge we need to cover and cross today because not only can God do a miracle, I want you to know, beloved, he can do one for you. He can bring a miracle to you. God gets glory out of your miracle. You need to understand that the next time fear starts knocking and you think you can't accomplish that and you can't start that business and you can't write that book and you can't have that godly relationship and you can't have those children that love the Lord, you need to remember that it brings God glory for you to have a miracle in your life. It brings God honor for you to honor him and you begin to let God honor you it brings him glory when God gets to see you being an overcomer, a lender, and a not a borrower. It brings him glory to see him and you become the majority and nothing's impossible to them that believe. I'm just saying. Because most of us say, hey, I know God can do a miracle because that person loves God. No, you love God. And as you, a lover of God, the miracle can happen for you and your family but you have to have the spirit of receptivity. I am a good, I'm, you know what? Here, here's the, here's the facts. I'm a great receiver of gifts. You give me gifts, I receive them so joyfully. I encourage you to give me gifts. We don't give under the anointing around here because I'd be a billionaire. So I don't say give under the anointing because hey, I'd be a billionaire and I wouldn't be here anymore. Be like Stockton, bye. Oh, I know it's so sad, isn't it, Cindy? It's true. But I'm a great receiver of gifts. If you give me gifts, I love them. I love gift cards. Hey, that's what you should do. If you give me a gift card, guess what I'll do? Thank you. If you give me cash, thank you. I don't take cash app. You can't Venmo me because I don't go that way. And if you give me a card with nice words on it, I will cry. If you give me something bad, I don't read it. But I am a fantastic receiver of gifts. But you know what? As I'm saying that, and some of you are kind of giggling, going, but I want you to know, I wasn't always like that. 
I wasn't always a good receiver of gifts. There was a time in my life where I thought, I can't receive that. That's too good to get that. That's too good. I can't receive that because that's for the glory of God. And then I had to realize what I'm telling you today. It is for God's glory because I don't leave it unto myself. I give it back to him and I bless others. It's for God's glory that you need to receive those gifts. It is for God's glory that you need to receive and let God bless you and let him overcome the evil with good. It is for God's glory that you don't carry an offense each and every day. It is for God's glory that you become a lender and not a borrower. Can somebody help me preach this message? It is for God's glory. So I receive gifts. Okay, well, I'm going to move on here because you guys aren't biting. Okay. But how many of you ever prayed for something and it didn't happen in 30 minutes? You ever prayed for something like 30 minutes went by? What's going on? God, I'm, not, I'm in the lobby. How come this thing hasn't happened yet? How come I'm not married, God? I came here today looking for somebody. I've got the pastor on backup. Listen to that. You see, by faith, you can see into the future. You may not see into the now, but you can see into the future. Sight has to do with what you see. Vision has to do with what we can be. When I walk by faith and not by sight, I'm walking in vision. That's what this is all about. I'm walking in vision. Sight has to do with what I see. Vision has to do with what I can be. Do you know an eagle has tremendous eyesight, 10 times greater than a human being? I believe that's why God says you're going to mount up on wings of eagles and you'll run and not grow weary. Just what Habakkuk said, you'll walk and not grow faint. Do you know the opposite of an eagle is a chicken? And a lot of Christians walk around like chickens. A chicken doesn't look, the chicken head down, cluck, 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 cluck. They just go from little spot to little spot. They'll bump into stuff because they don't have good eyesight, cluck, cluck, cluck. But you know what's even worse than a chicken? A rooster. Because a rooster puffs his chest out. A rooster starts cocking and doodling. A rooster starts bobbing and weaving. A rooster walks around like the cock of the walk. But do you know? I think a rooster is still part of a chicken. I don't know if the chicken and the egg thing, how that actually plays out in, in, in science, but I think the rooster is affiliated with the chicken. What's the point? God certainly don't want you walking around like Ch chicken. And he certainly doesn't want you clucking and bobbing and weaving. He wants you to be an eagle, to reach unimaginable heights, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not grow faint. He doesn't want you clucking and he doesn't want you strutting. He wants you to give God glory and honor and receive the best that he has for you. Oh, I like that. And I think this is so important because here's what I want to end us with as Pastor Ty comes. God is looking for a people who will give him the opportunity to demonstrate his power to them. I think God is constantly scouring the land looking for people who will give the opportunity to demonstrate something in them. Think about what I just said. To demonstrate. I'm a first generation Christian I'm a first-generation pastor. I've never pastored before. I've never been a Christian. I wasn't born in a Christian home. I wasn't part of a church. I've never been to church other than to be a pastor or to preach. So it wasn't like I was raised in church. And some of you have that ability, and thank God for it. But I have no church background, no religious background. I was, I was saved at 22 years old. 
And when I got saved, I started speaking two weeks later in church settings and outreaches and parks, conventions, prisons. I would speak at hospitals. I would speak at, Jennifer would tell you, I'd speak in hospitals where people that were uh, battling sickness. I'd speak in auditoriums with students in high schools, junior highs, some elementary school. I'd speak to professional athletes in baseball, football, soccer, basketball. I would speak uh, at bar mitzvahs. If you call me, I'm doing anything. Juggle, I'd just do it all for Jesus to bring him honor. But I think about that because I think the real issue for us, God is still looking for a people who will give the opportunity to demonstrate his power to them. And that's all I was willing to do, to let God be demonstrated through me. I don't have a church background. I wasn't raised in church. The only time I became a part of a church, I became a senior pastor. So that's not good in a resume, right? Where do you come from? Where's your background? I'm like, streets. I was from the streets. I only knew revival fire. I certainly don't live in religious smoke. And so I say that to say, all God's looking for is a willing vessel. He's wanting to demonstrate something in us. We have to be able to receive it. Remember, I'm a good gift receiver. And you need to be one too. But looking, God's always constantly just looking. I really do. He's not rejecting, he's looking. He's looking. As I'm looking today at you, that's the Holy Spirit. He's looking at you. Hebrews 11 and 12, 22, excuse me. The Bible says, by faith, Joseph does something. And this is an interesting thing that I bring to us, our, our attention today, because Joseph is a type and shadow of Jesus. The life of Joseph and the life of Jesus parallel 113 comparisons. Old Testament Joseph is New Testament Jesus. Joseph, I talked about him last year at length for probably six months. And I did an intense study on Joseph. You can watch it online, and if you really want to grow in that, you can go back and look at it. But one of the things Joseph does that I have always tripped out on is he gets to the end of his life. And remember, he's the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful man on the planet next to Pharaoh. At the snap of his fingers, he can have people dead or elevated. And he says something out of Hebrews eleven twenty two. 22. Joseph, when he was dying, he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. In other words, he saw a vision of them coming out of that bondage, coming out of that land, and he made mention of it concerning his bones. Bones represent life that was attached to those bones. That's why Ezekiel 37 and 38, God said, can these bones live? Talking about Israel. He's talking about the bones coming back to life. That's what Joseph is doing in effect. He's doing the same thing. He says, concerning my bones, they're gonna be, I know they're just gonna be down to nothing, but they were attached to something at one time. And in this concerning of my bones, I want you to know I see something. And he talked about this amazing vision that the children of Israel would come out of that place of Egypt's bondage and land of not enough. He says, by faith, I see the future. And he said, no longer do I see my family, the Jewish people living in captivity. I no longer see them as slaves. I no longer see them in poverty. I no longer see them in bondage. He says, I have faith to see the future. When you leave here, he says, I see freedom. I see the wealth of Egypt being loaded up in ox carts and they're dragging it out. I see a place of not enough to a land of more than enough. And when you go to that land of more than enough take my bones with you I've got to go 
Most Christians don't realize the depth of God wanting to use them because they're not willing to let go and let God. They're not willing to go. And God's telling you and I today through this message, it's time for you to see what I see. It's time. A land of not enough, a land of just enough, that's not complacency, that's apostasy. Get to the land of more than enough. I want you to see something. So let's close our natural eyes. Our security team will keep their eyes open, of course. And we have them here. They're all infiltrated in this crowd. They'll keep their eyes open, but I don't want you to keep your eyes open. Close them. Because I don't want you to see something naturally. I want you to see something spiritually. And I want you to see with your eyes closed today a vision of the Lord coming into your life in 2023. And he's saying, write it down. I'm willing to do it. And so what do you see for your future? I don't want you to look through the eyes of failures. I don't want you to look to the eyes of Esau, which means the flesh. I don't want you to look through the eyes of fear. I want you to look through the eyes of faith, says the Lord. And I want you to see health in the place of sickness. I want you to see long life in the place of sudden death. I want you to see prosperity in the place of never having enough to make ends meet at the end of the month. I want you to see a new dawn in your life, replacing the darkness that's overshadowed your hopes. I want you to see God restoring to you sevenfold what Satan has taken from you and the generations behind you. I want you to see God scattering your enemies like debris in a tornado. I want you to see depression being crushed and the life of a tsunami of joy coming in your waves, a wave of joy, another wave. And when you think you've got that conquered, here comes another wave, and then here comes another wave, and then here comes another wave, and an unspeakable wave of joy floods your heart. I want you to see a dead marriage being resurrected by the liberating power of God, and it's electrifying again. I want you to see the walls of resistance crumbling before you, the walls that you thought were non-penetratable, the walls that you thought were insurmountable. I want you to see God taking your enemies and handcuffing them in the future so they will not harm you or attack you or assault you. I want you to see the mountains of impossibilities being cast into the deepest sea. I want you to see what God sees in your future. Give God a chance to make it happen in Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, put your hands together and give God praise. Can we stand together? As we stand, that means nothing, by the way. I'm not closing. You're just standing. I just think you need to stretch. Squats, some, let's do something. But I want you to think about this. Have you ever read a mystery novel? And if you have impatient spirit like me, especially if the book is long, I like reading and I read daily. But some of the books that, that I'm given or I start reading, I, I realize a certain way through, they're just too long. Am I, am I the only one that thinks that? So especially if I'm reading like a mystery novel or something, which is not often, but I'll get a couple pages in, 100 or so, and it's got like 1,500 pages. I'm like, oh, God. So what I do, I get to the end of the book, and I'll see who did the killing. I'll see what happened. See, that's what, when you understand this book, you get to the end of this thing, and you realize God is the author, and he's the finisher. In Matthew, he's led as the lamb to the slaughter. He's... He's absolutely spit upon, hated, and rejected. But in the book of Revelation, he's high and lifted up. His train is filling the temple. 
In the book of Matthew, he's crucified and he's crowned with thorns. In the book of Revelation, he's wearing crown upon crown upon crown because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Matthew, he's hung on a cruel Roman cross and they're spitting at him and they're slinging insults at him. But in the book of Revelation, we see him high and lifted up and we see every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see in Revelation 19 and the heavens began to open and I saw the one who riding on that horse of called faithful and true and in righteousness does he judge and he make war. His eyes are as flames of fire and on his head are many crowns and the name written on his side, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Jesus comes back to this earth, he's not coming as the Lamb of God. He's coming as a lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not coming with a rod in his hand, a scepter. He's coming with a rod of iron and of his kingdom there shall be no end. When he comes back to this earth, presidents will bow, prime ministers will bow, kings and queens will bow. Every knee will bow. And every tongue confesses that Jesus is the Lord according to God and his glory of our Father. Thank you for listening to the Oasis Church Podcast. You can find our podcasts wherever podcasts are available. For more information, go to experienceoasis.org. Thanks again for listening.